بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته everyone I hope you're all well we're back again for another session for another class of our seerah this is now the 14th episode so just as an entry to this class let's just have a think about a quick summary of what we did last time just to bring us back up to speed we had an amazing class last session session 13 where we went through when the first revelation came to the prophet muhammad and honestly i can't even say that without shivers going up and down my spine because it really is a momentous occasion in history where the beginning of the last revelation the last testament the the quran is being revealed now by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the guidance for the whole of mankind for the rest of time so that's what we covered in last time's episode. So we'll pick up from there. And what happened next actually is very interesting because the revelation stopped. Um, the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, didn't receive any more revelation for a short period of time. Some say about three months, some say maybe up to six months, but it was a short period of time. And the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, had kind of maybe calm down because obviously that was a terrifying event that he'd gone through momentous life-changing you know history-making but still a quite a terrifying event that he'd been through so in that time the the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always perfect and this has given the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam time to actually you know let that sink in everything that happened let his heart and his soul and his mind come in line with the fact that he is the prophet of Allah, the messenger of Allah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And there's actually a narration where Ibn Abbas says that the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for many days would wander around Mecca and the valleys of Mecca and the mountains of Mecca wanting to see Jibreel alayhi salam again, wanting to see the archangel Gabriel again but he didn't appear. And we're told also that the Prophet Muhammad would go back to the cave of Hira, hoping, expecting to see Jibreel, the angel Gabriel, but he was never there. So you can see that in this time, the time frame of, let's say it was three months, some say it's three months, you know, up to six months, it gave the Prophet Muhammad time to not just calm down from that, event of that first revelation in the cave of Hira but also he was now starting to long for that contact for that for that revelation to come to him so it's almost like a 180 isn't it he's gone from being scared oh my goodness what's happening to me being scared for himself to now thinking I wish this would happen again so we know that there's a, a narration in, in Bukhari, the collection of hadith, where the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, I was walking, I was coming down from Jabal al-Nur, because remember I said that he'd sometimes go up to the cave of Hira, hoping, expecting to see Jibreel alayhi salam. So he was walking and he was coming down the mountain. And he says, I heard a sound, or in some narrations, I heard my name being called, and I looked in front and I looked behind and I couldn't see anything. 
And then I looked up in the heavens and I saw the same angel that had come to me in Hira, in the cave of Hira. And this time he saw Jibreel in his original form, in other words, in the form that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created him in. And he, we're told, was massive. He had 600 pairs of wings and he blocked the entire horizon. And this, for the Prophet Muhammad to see him like that, I mean, how how terrifying that must have been. And that's the wisdom in it, the break in the revelation, where there was no revelation that came to him for a while, was to prepare him for this next revelation because it was going to be very difficult. He was now seeing Jibreel in his true original form. And even though he wanted to see him, it almost is too much for him. And we're told that once again, he says, I trembled out of fear and I rushed back to Khadija, to his wife Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her again. And this time he said, Dathiruni, Dathiruni, cover me up. You know, he's shaking with fear because of what he's just seen. And then he says, and that was when Jibreel came with the second revelation. So Jibreel comes to the house of Khadija and the Prophet Muhammad and he brings the next revelation. And before we go into what that next revelation was and you know what happened, what transpired at that time, just going to take a little bit of a sidestep and just have a discussion, just have like a, a bit of a talk now about what revelation actually is and how did it actually occur. So we know that the word for revelation or inspiration in Arabic is wahi, which means direct communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mankind. And one of the classical scholars, Ibn al-Qayyim, he has mentioned that there are seven different ways or seven different methods, if you like, that the Prophet Muhammad was inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's seven different ways that the revelation would come to him. The first of those was, and this is going sort of in the lowest to the highest order, the lowest way, if you like, that that revelation would come to him was through his inspiration in true dreams. And we know that that was happening to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, six months before that first revelation in the cave of Hira that we mentioned last time. And now the the inspiration of true dreams is the only form of inspiration that is still open to us now at this day and age because all other types of inspiration, communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have ended with the passing of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. The second of the ways of communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mankind are the whisperings of the angels. In other words, angels other than the angel Jibreel And this actually has a word in Arabic to describe it and it's called ilham. And this is the kind of inspiration that would come from Allah but wouldn't be actual revelation 
it would be an inspiration. And this is something like if you look in the Quran, where the mother of Musa was inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, and Maryam salam was also inspired. And that, you know, that is a different category of conversation and discussion to, um, because some people, some scholars do actually have the opinion that sometimes um, this could have meant that this was revelation, actual direct revelation, you know, to signify prophethood. But like I said, that's a, that's a whole different discussion, which I'm not going to go into. The third way of inspiration was when the prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, would see the angel Jibreel salam as a man in front of him so he could speak to him directly just as that first revelation that came to the prophet muhammad in the cave of hira and usually when jibreel would come to the prophet muhammad as a man uh, in medina this would be in later on in medina he would actually take the form of one of the companions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. Um, and this companion, his name was Dihya. Um, and he was from the tribe of Al-Kalbi. So his Dihya Al-Kalbi. Um, and he was actually one of the most handsome men in Medina at the time. I mean, in Mecca, when Jibreel came to the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, in the form of a man, then it would just be some other man but in Medina he used to take the form of Dihya because Dihya was considered to be so handsome that it was appropriate that the angel Gabriel the archangel Gabriel Jibreel would take on the appearance of somebody so so handsome and people would see him and they would think that this was Dihya but it was in fact Jibreel in fact there's an occasion where Aisha may Allah be pleased with her in fact, on more than one occasion, Aisha anha would see this man with the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, who she thought was Dihya, talking to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And afterwards, she would ask the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, oh, what, you know, what did Dihya want from you? Which I think is really cute, isn't it? It's just like when my husband's on the phone and I don't know who he's talking to, but I can hear a voice. And afterwards, I'll say, oh, who was that? And, you know, what did he want? And this is, you know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon his wife, just saying, oh, you know, what did Dihya want from you? And the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa would reply, no, that wasn't Dihya, that was Jibreel, alayhi salam. And the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa would recognize Jibreel, alayhi salam, but, you know, other people wouldn't. And sometimes the Sahaba would see Jibreel, alayhi salam, in this form, and at other times he would come as just a very handsome man, not necessarily looking like this particular companion, this particular Sahaba. And that's the case when you think about the famous hadith, which is the famous uh, narration from the life of the Prophet Muhammad And actually it's called the hadith of Jibreel when we're told that, you know, the Sahaba saw a man coming, they were sat with the, the, the companions were sat with the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And a man came to them who none of them knew. So in other words, he wasn't a local man. He'd obviously travelled, but there was no sign of travel on him. He had very white clothing, which you wouldn't have if you'd come from a distance. Obviously, there would be signs of travel on you. But this man was wearing incredibly pure white clothing. 
and his hair was very black and he he came and sat with the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and it's an absolutely beautiful hadith. If you don't know it, please go and find out about it because they say it's it encapsulates the whole of our religion, of Islam. I'll do it quickly because I can't help myself. So um, the Jibreel al-Islam, and it is Jibreel al-Islam, comes and sits to, right up close to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, knee to knee, if you like. So if you're sat on the floor, one person's knee is touching the other person's knee, and face to face, that shows you how close they were. And Jibreel al-Islam asked the Prophet Muhammad, sallam, tell me about Islam. So the Prophet Muhammad answers him, and that's the bit I'm going to let you go and find out. I'm not going to tell you the whole hadith. And then the angel Jibreel says, tell me about Iman. And again, the Prophet Muhammad responds to him and describes what Iman is. And then the Prophet Muhammad, sorry, Jibreel says, um, tell me about Ihsan, which is the highest way of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the final question that Jibreel asks the Prophet Muhammad says, tell me about the hour. And the Prophet Muhammad answers very beautifully, very wisely. The one being asked does not know more than the one who is asking. And then it carries on because uh, Jibreel says, well, tell me about its signs. In other words, the signs of the the hour, the last day, and the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu describes some of the signs. And then the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu says to one of the companions, Oh Amr, do you know who the questioner was? And Amr, may Allah be pleased with him, said, Allah and his messenger know best. And the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu said, that was the angel Jibreel Alayhi who came to teach you your religion. So you can see that this uh, amazing hadith is a kind of encapsulation about the five pillars of Islam, the six articles of faith, um, what ihsan is, in other words, the, the highest form of the way of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then some knowledge about the hour and its signs. So this at this point, when Jibreel comes to the Prophet Muhammad he doesn't come in the in the form of dihya, he comes in the form of a man who the companions have never seen before. So as we say, that Jibreel Islam could come to the Prophet Muhammad in the form of a man, and this was actually easier for the Prophet Muhammad to bear. In other words, it wasn't as physically taxing for him. The fourth way, because we're going through Ibn Qayyim's seven ways of uh, communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fourth way is that Jibreel the angel Gabriel would remain in his angelic true form and the Prophet Muhammad would go into, I guess the closest word in English is what you'd call it is just kind of a, a trance. He'd go into his own sort of space where he would lower his head, he would lower his eyes and his eyes would remain open but his hearing and his heart was devoted to what was being revealed. So he would be kind of in this kind of communication world with the unseen, um, in the world of wahi, if you like, in the world of inspiration. 
And we don't know exactly how this would be for the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu but we know that when this would happen, even on a very, very cold night, he we're told he would be sweating profusely because of the effort that this would take. And they would say that the, the sweat was almost like pearls dropping off him and showing that this was a really difficult way for the revelation to come to him. To such an extent that we're told at once when one of the surahs of the Qur'an, it was Surah Al-Ma'idah, which is the fifth chapter, the fifth surah of the Qur'an, when it was coming down, while this was coming down, the Prophet Muhammad wasallam was sat on a camel. And that revelation coming down was such a heavy experience that actually the camel literally buckled under the weight and the camel had to sit at, sit down. Now, I mean, camels are known for being, like they call them the ships of the desert, don't they? Because they literally will carry burdens of like hundreds of kilos of weight that they will carry that, you know, across the desert on their backs. But the coming down of that revelation while the Prophet Muhammad was sat on the camel was too much even for the camel. And then you think to yourself, imagine how hard then it must have been for the Prophet Muhammad And we know that actually the Prophet Muhammad then got off the camel just so that it would be easier, you know, for the benefit of the camel. Another thing about the the when the revelation would come to the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam in this way then the prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him explained that it would be like the ringing of a bell or a buzzing noise and this was this was really difficult for him so jibril islam would communicate with him and he would understand what jibril islam was saying but no one around him could hear these words one of the companions, again, this is Amr, may Allah be pleased with him. He said, when revelation would come to the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, uh, near his face, you could hear a sound like the sound of bees buzzing. So that's the, anyone that was near him, that's all that they could hear. But while the revelation came to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, um, he could understand what Jibreel was saying, but no one else would be able to, to understand that. They would just hear like this sound of a, bees you know buzzing of bees around him so the the fifth way that the prophet muhammad sallallahu would receive revelation would he would see jibril salam in his original form which is what we were saying when we were talking about what was happening in the chronological order um just at the beginning of this session and scholars differ actually how many times this happened to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. But we know that definitely it happened at least twice. Once when this revelation now has come, and also once at the time of when the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, was taken by Jibreel uh, on the, the journey to Jerusalem, and then the journey up into the heavens, which in Arabic is called the Isra and the Mi'raj. And we know that uh, when... The, when Jibreel came to the Prophet Muhammad in this true original form, he was so large that he blocked the horizon and he had 600 wings. I think I said 600 pairs before. 600 wings 
And, you know, he is the most noble of all of the angels. He's the archangel. In other words, the head of all of the angels, the, the topmost angel, if you like. And so he has the most wings. He has 600 wings. Number six on the list of Ibn Qayyim's ways of revelation is actually contested. I'm not going to go into that one. But the seventh one, which is the highest form of wahi, the highest form of inspirational revelation, is the direct speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without the intermediary of angel Jibreel And this happened once to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, in the Isra and the Miraj, in the um, ascension up into the heavens. And inshallah one day, if Allah allows us, we'll get to that point and we'll talk about it. But we know that when when that happened, Jibreel actually wasn't there because... The Prophet Muhammad had gone to a place where he could actually hear the pens writing down the decree that that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was decreeing. And he was close enough, we're told, that he could see the veil of light in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him directly. And I mean, that's a level that no other human being has ever or will ever reach. I mean, we know that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke directly to Musa alayhi salam, uh, Moses, peace be upon him, when he was on um, the, the Mount of Sinai. But, I mean, this was while Musa alayhi salam was here in this world, on this planet, if you like, um, whereas the Prophet Muhammad alayhi salam actually got taken up into the heavens and he came so close that he could actually see the veil of light that veiled Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from him. Um, and at that point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him directly. And we'll go into what was spoken about later on when we get to that that point in the seerah, in the life of the Prophet Muhammad. Peace and blessings be upon him. So that's how the different ways that the Prophet Muhammad over the 23 years while revelation came to him, these were the different ways in which he could receive inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And like I said, when he received that first direct communication by the angel Jibreel coming to him in the cave of Hira, I mean, that receiving of revelation was an unbelievable experience for the Prophet Muhammad terrifying, but also you know, we know now that that break in revelation also made him realize how much he longed for that communication. And like I said, it was a history changing event, like an event that changed the history of mankind. But it's also a burden. I mean, we've just seen when the revelation used to come to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, how heavy how difficult it was for him to bear that, you know, even the camel couldn't take his weight when that revelation came, couldn't take that weight of the of the revelation coming to him. So receiving divine revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for 23 years, that was a difficult burden that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, took upon himself that he he took all of that, he endured all of that for the sake of humanity, to be able to have the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all time, until the end of time. And the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sometimes we're told he would initially, when the revelation came to him, 
he would rapidly repeat the revelation. You know when somebody tells you something and, and you know that you have to remember it and maybe you keep on repeating it over and over again just so that you don't forget it. And that's what the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, would do. Because remember, he can't write it down. He's unlettered. He's never been taught to read and write. So he's, you know, he knows the the importance of making sure that this revelation is purely in its true unaltered form. So he's repeatedly and rapidly making sure that he's retained it um, as Jibreel is revealing it, so to fulfill that responsibility. And then we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals in the 75th surah of the Quran, Surah Al-Qiyamah, where uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, is, is told, do not move your tongue rapidly so that you can quickly preserve, in other words, preserve the revelation in your memory, Allah says it is upon us alone to compile it and to read it back is our responsibility, Allah says. In other words, you're not going to forget this. It, it will be in your mind and your heart. You don't have to sit there revising it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we will give the explanation of it to you. So the Prophet Muhammad was blessed with that instant memorization. Anyone who has taken on that momentous task of you know memorizing the quran knows that you know it doesn't happen in an instant but it was like that for the prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him it had to be like that because it, the revelation was had to had to stay pure had to stay unaltered and for that to happen the prophet muhammad sallam, had to remember it word perfectly and instantly and that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that's how it would happen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not only did he uh, send the revelation, he has promised that it will be protected for all time. So we can see in one way it was protected was that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu had instant memorization of it perfectly, word perfectly. And also it was protected from the evil uh, evil members of the jinn community because they used to actually eavesdrop on the commands given to the angels the the shayateen al-jinn the, the evil of the jinn and they would listen in obviously that for a time this was allowed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then they would pass on that information to like soothsayers and fortune tellers because then the, this allowed those people to some, you know, really convincing as, you know, I know this is the truth of what's going to happen to you in the future. And obviously it was a money-making money making scheme and also keeping people misled as well. And they would say these things, the little bits of information that the jinn would pass on to them. They would, you know, make a big story out of it and tell their customers as they came. But now, with the revelation of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala arranged complete protection for it by making sure the shayateen of the jinn could get nowhere near it. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave this protection so that this revelation would be protected and authentic for all time, till the end of time. So that was a rather a long sidestep, wasn't it? Let's get back to what was happening to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. So the angel Jibreel had come to him in the true form and he'd you know, run back home to Khadija anha, and he'd said to her, Dathiruni, Dathiruni, cover me up. And that's when the angel Jibreel, Jibreel has come with this second revelation. Um, 
which is the first few ayahs of Surah Al-Muddathir. Um, but the thing is, there is actually a, a difference of opinion, and let me just put this out there, that there is a difference of opinion as to the order of how the Qur'an was revealed, so which ayahs came first. Majority, I mean, absolute majority of scholars will tell you that Iqra' was the first word ever recited to the Prophet Muhammad so the first five ayahs of Surah Alaq were the first revelation that came to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, in the cave of Hira, and that we went through in the last time's session. But there seems to be a difference of opinion, and some say that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, received a second revelation straight straight away after the first. You know, we said there was a at least a three-month pause in revelation. And these are said to be the first few ayahs, the first few verses of the 68th surah of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Qalam, um, some say first two verses of that surah, some say the first five verses of the surah. And this speaks about the importance of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, maintaining his excellent character, no matter what is said to him, what is said about him and how he's treated, that he must retain his excellent, excellent character. And then there are even some scholars that will say, or see some accounts that will say that there was a third revelation and that was the first seven ayahs of the 73rd surah of the Qur'an, the 73rd chapter, Surah Al-Muzammil. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, to perform um, night prayer, to stand up for the tahajjud prayer. And in that way, increase his connection with Allah, because obviously the closer you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the less what people say about you, or to you if they're not if they're being insulting, which that we we know that they will be, um, to the Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings be upon him, then that you know matters less because you have such a strong connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is a massive lesson to all of us. The closer you get to Allah, the the less, you know, the the troubles of this life will will seem troublesome to you. And then the scholars say that there was a pause, and then you have these ayahs of Sultan Muddathir. So let's have a look at them. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Ya ayyuhal muddathir. Which means, O oh, you who is wrapped up in garments. Because again, the Prophet Muhammad had asked Khadija to wrap him up because he was terrified. Um stand up and warn. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, you know, time to take off that, you know, that cloak that you've got on, time to get up and be active. You've got to go out and warn people. You've got to, you know, make sure that this message is given to the people. So in other words, when you do warn people, glorify your Lord. And that means throughout the warning, whenever you're warning uh, the people, pray to Allah and worship him. And as you tell others to purify themselves, you know, purifying society of its evils, of its evil spiritually, of its evil socially, of its evils economically, 
then you also need to make sure that you purify yourself as well. Physically, yeah, be clean, but also spiritually be pure by avoiding sins and, you know, don't dirty your soul, if you like, with sins. Be a pious person before you tell other people to to change their ways as well. And then the Prophet Muhammad is told, as for evil and idolatry, just absolutely get rid of it, abandon it. And don't do good deeds just because you want to get something back in return. In other words, if someone comes and asks you for a favour and you think to yourself, oh, yeah, I think I'll help that person because, you know, one day I can ask for that favour back because then I can remind them that I did something for them and then they'll do something for me. So in other words, don't do good deeds just for that reason. Do good deeds for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is more perfect in character because if a prophet did behave like that, you know, if the Prophet Muhammad did, and he never would have, but if he did behave in a way, you know, doing something good for somebody just to get repaid by them, rather than purely for the sake of Allah, then the intentions are no longer pure, and it tarnishes a person's reputation. And that is why the Prophet Muhammad actually wasn't allowed to take any charity, because it tarnishes that person's reputation that the people start associating their good deeds with the fact that they're also receiving some financial gain. So in other words, don't do good deeds for any other reason than purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And be patient for the sake of your Lord. Because Allah knew that there were going to be so many difficult things that are going to happen to the Prophet Muhammad in his life as a prophet, that he will have to be patient, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to bear the things that happened to him. And the only way to be patient is that when you do what you're doing, purely for the sake of Allah, because you want Allah's reward and not the reward of other people, that is when you can be patient. So with this revelation, especially قُمْ فَأَنذِرْ you know, stand up and warn. This is when the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, starts to preach to his own near family, starts to tell them about Islam. He didn't at this point stand up and make a public announcement to the whole of his extended family, but he would call those nearest and dearest to him. So the first convert to Islam was actually his wife, Khadija, may be pleased with her, because she had converted without actually even knowing what she was converting to. I mean, she she knew her husband's character and she she had such faith in him. She had even had said to him, hadn't she, Allah is never going to humiliate you. He's never going to cause you to go astray because, you know, you're kind and merciful and all the beautiful things, all the beautiful ways she described her husband, the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, because she had such deep faith in him that she literally converted straight away as soon as she heard that first revelation 
after the Prophet Muhammad had come back from the cave of Hira and, you know, she'd um, calmed, allowed him to calm down and then she had listened to what he'd had to say. And actually then the second convert would actually be Waraqa ibn Nawfal because when they had gone to him and he had said to him, basically, you're a prophet and, you know, and he believed in him. So even without sort of saying an la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammadan abaduhu he had become a Muslim. So he's actually the second convert. And then you have what you call the firsts, really, because people say, oh, then Ali radilan was the first to convert. Some say Abu Bakr radilan was the first to convert. Some say no, Zayd ibn Haritha was the first to convert. But actually, in a sense, they were all firsts because. Ali Radilan was actually the first child to convert. He was a young boy. Abu Bakr Radilan was the first um, man, if you like, to convert to Islam, first free man, because Zayd ibn Haritha was the first from the slave class, the servant class, to have converted. So all of them were firsts, really, the very first ones to have converted to Islam. And I think what we'll do is next time I'll go into more detail about their conversions and the conversions uh, to Islam of some of the other really early, early converts. Um, And they're beautiful stories, each and every single one of them, inspiring absolutely each and every single one of them. So next time, inshallah, we'll go into more detail about that. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Glory and praise be to you, O Allah. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship except you. I beg of you your forgiveness and repent to you. Ameen.